Welcome to Football is Family, a podcast dedicated to the fan and fan experience. My name is Jeremy McFarland, and I want to look at the positive behind what makes football so enjoyable to watch and follow. I want to know why you are a fan of your team, of a player, or an era of football. Whether the pros, college, or high school, I want to hear and share your stories and your love for the game. If you want to be part of this podcast, please message me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore McFarland or on Facebook at the Footballist Family Facebook page. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Okay. And we'd like to welcome everybody back to the Footballist Family Podcast. I got a friend of the, uh, the show here and great author, Kevin Bryant here. Uh, Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, great. Thanks for having me on again, Jeremy. Buddy, I, I enjoy our time together. I think the last time you came on, my dogs got into something and it turned out they got into some chocolate. So that was fun. Uh, this time we had, uh, I had, him, I wanted him to be on yesterday, but my wife came, she, she had heart problems and then came down with COVID. So it's, so I'm just glad that he's very forgiving and patient. Um, it, he he's written a book called Spies on the Sideline: The High Stakes World of NFL Espionage, and I'm holding it up here like he can see it, but he can't because my video was wonky today. On the cover, and this is what I was talking to him just a second ago. On the cover, it has a guy that looks like he's a secret agent from the KGB or the CIA from the 50s walking into the NFL stadium, and I and I told him. And this is a very nerd thing to do, but he is a nerd like me with this. I watched recently the whole James Bond catalog in order from start to finish. Now I'm reading Ian Fleming. And your book, Kevin, is Ian Fleming if he was in the NFL. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, that's I, I think, you know, you summed it up pretty well. That's what it's all about. It's all about those crazy spying incidents and you know i every almost everything that goes on in, in the world of international espionage it goes on in the nfl too um which i think is a surprise for a lot of people but i think anybody who's ever you know studied the subject of industrial espionage how companies collect information on each other you know to try to gain trade secrets um which can be worth millions hundreds of millions of dollars at time um you know it's it's not it's, it's not going to catch you by surprise and when you're talking about the nfl a billion dollar industry billions of dollars um you know there's there's a lot of incentive one of the stories that i liked about this and we're going to get into talking about the super bowl and i got to have your picks before we get into the story um okay my pick got eliminated last week i wanted the bills to win but that's okay um, I just had a feeling the Titans wouldn't make it that far. Um, one of the stories I enjoyed is I remember Super Bowl 32. My Broncos were finally back to the Super Bowl, but they were playing the highly favored Green Bay Packers. And, of course, we know who won that one. John Elway did it, just the, and Terrell Davis and all those guys. But um, I loved it that Mike Shanahan hired Navy SEALs to go on top of a hill close to their practice and protect the practice. That's just, that's just amazing to me. Yeah, it is pretty wild. So yeah. So you're referring to the 1998 Super Bowl, uh, Broncos and Panthers. And, um, 
So yeah, Shanahan was pretty paranoid. They're, the Super Bowl was going to be played in San Diego. Uh, the Broncos were practicing there, of course, the week before the Super Bowl, as is required to do all of the media events. And, you know, Shanahan, he just didn't like the look of this hill that overlooked the field. And he said, you know, if Green Bay was going to spy on us, they're going to do it from over here. So he ended up hiring 18 Navy SEALs oh, 18, me. Yep, um, to, to secure this practice field. And, and so... You know, that's what they do. Funny enough, you know, Pat Bolin later said that there was a helicopter that flew over there and Mike Shanahan um, got really, you know, annoyed that no one could do anything about it. And, and Bolin said, you know, it looked like, you know, Shanahan wanted the, the Navy SEALs to shoot a surface to air missile at this thing and knock it out of the sky. Um, but, you know, that's just how paranoid coaches are. Um, and just, you know, obviously the extremes that they're willing to go to, to, you know, secure their practice fields from their opponents. I don't know. Of course, uh, the, one of the SEALs training facilities is over there in that area. I don't know of a group I would rather have as a, a bodyguard than the freaking Navy SEALs. I mean, come on. Yeah. Navy SEALs are pretty elite, right? Um, yeah. And, and yes, you know, San Diego is obviously packed with, uh, with a lot of Marines and um, a lot of our, our nation's, uh, you know, finest, finest troops over there. So, yeah, I mean, it was a probably easy place to recruit a bunch of people for, you know, I'm sure a couple of days of work and I'm sure a heck of a good paycheck. <laughs> Off the books, of course. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, OK. Uh, before we get into your stories, because I love these stories. These are just amazing stories. Again, Ian Fleming in the NFL. Um, you've got the you got the. Bengals and the my mind just went blank. The Chiefs, Chiefs, yeah. And you have the Eagles, who I just found out today. The people in Philadelphia, the police department, are greasing the poles for the light poles uh, for tomorrow. They're greasing it so that the Philadelphia fans won't climb them and break them. Uh, I just think that's <laughs> hilarious. But hey, more power to you. Right. Um, and then you have the 49ers. Now, to me, the best matchup, in my opinion, is the NFC. Yeah, I, honestly, I think those are both really good games. Um, you, you know, I think I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people feel that kind of like I mean the Bills, and I think the Bills did. I mean, they started off a lot stronger than they finished this season, and you know there were some injuries that played into all of that. Uh, but I don't think a lot of people are giving the Bengals a chance. Um, but you know, after watching last week, um, I mean. That was a dominant defensive line performance that just pulverized um, the Bills. And so I'm really interested. I mean, I definitely feel like the Chiefs are the favorite. Um, but having said that, it's not it's not going to be a shock to me if the Bengals do manage to pull it off. So we'll have to see. Having said that, Patrick Mahomes is always the X factor. And he just he, that guy can work magic. What about his ankle? What do you think is going to happen with, with that? I, you know, that's the, that's, that's the big question mark, right? Because, you know, I mean, obviously all of last game, he was limping around and he got the job done, but it wasn't necessarily pretty. If he's as hurt as he was last week and that Bengals line looks defensive line looks as dominant as it was um, a week ago, man, it could be a real bad day for the chiefs. It, it's very possible that the Bengals end up in the Super Bowl. 
I, I have a feeling that the Bengals are going to pull it off for some reason, just in the back of my head. Um, and I kind of feel in a way that San Francisco is going to pull it out, even though Philadelphia is a juggernaut this year, just absolutely a juggernaut. They, they, so they are. Um, so I got to disagree with you on that one. I would definitely go Eagles. Um, I think they've looked really good all all year long. Uh, they've just been on a roll. Um, you know, 49, I mean, you got Kyle, Kyle Shanahan as coach, and that guy is just, I mean, he's, he's, he's an incredible coach. You've got a very, that team from top to bottom is stacked. Um, they seem to have hit the groove now that they found a quarterback, which is, was the missing piece for, you know, at the start of the year. Um, I just think it's a lot to ask of a, you know, a first year starting quarterback to try to get a team to a Super Bowl against a team that's as strong as the Eagles. I, I just my gut feeling is that the, the you know, the, the train's going to come off the tracks a little bit this week um, with everything that the Eagles have to offer. But, you know, I mean, Niners are a good team, too, you know, and uh, it's just it can always just come down to who's having a good game. So um, overall, this year has been just who if whoever put money down on Brock Purdy being uh, in the NFC championship game as the starting quarterback. Good job. <laughs> right. Good. Right. Your your third stringer, yeah, I bet. Yeah, you know. yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, and if you say you did, uh, I'm going to call you a liar to your face because I didn't <laughs> even know Brock Purdy was on the NFL roster until uh, Jimmy G went down. Hey, you know, maybe his mom made a lot of money. Uh, you know what? Again, <laughs> Mister Irrelevant. I hope that uh, what I'm hearing, of course, this is now uh, Jimmy G is gone. I think he is heading to Tennessee, in my opinion. Trey Lance could be heading to Tennessee. I've heard both of those because of yeah. our GM. Uh, Brock Purdy's going to get the reins, and and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think he's earned it. Um, you know, it just goes to show, like, it's <laughs> one drafting is it's an is an art and not a science. And um, man, a lot of these guys that weren't necessarily the elite quarterbacks in college. Um, you know, they get into an NFL team, they kind of find their groove and off they go. And a lot of times what made a guy elite in college isn't there at the pro level. And then what made a guy, maybe a so-so college quarterback in college, maybe the guy didn't have a great offensive line. Maybe it was the scheme they played in, you know, they moved to a, a pro team. That's a good fit. And they just, it looks like they come out of nowhere to be a, you know, a starting NFL quarterback. So it's uh it's great to see a story like this. It is. Now, speaking of stories, Segway here. I'm, I'm working on segways, Kevin. Uh, you got some stories for us about the Super Bowl. I do. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. hear them. I'll, I'll, I, again, spies on the sideway, uh, sidelines, I should say, the high stakes world of NFL espionage available on Amazon uh, Books a Million. Yep. Barnes and Noble, uh, you know, Walmart. Um, yeah, I mean, you can go to my my uh, website, spiesonthesidelines.com. It's got all the spots you can order it. But basically, anywhere you can order a book um, online, you can you can find it. All right. So, all right, having said that, so, you know, you mentioned that 98 Super Bowl a little earlier where we talked about, uh, you know, Mike Shanahan employing those Navy SEALs. Um, right. So let's go right back there to start with. Um, so, you know, a lot of crazy stuff gets done in the NFL um, that teams, you know, Prepping, prepping for a Super Bowl and trying to gain information on their adversaries. 
one of the main things that's done is simply, you know, scouting your opponent, doing that advanced scouting. And that usually starts with film study. So for that particular game, uh, you know, Shanahan and staff spent three straight days just doing a grueling film study of the entire Packers season just to try to identify some tendencies um, that the Packers had and figure them out a little bit. So that came into play in a couple, a couple quick, a uh, couple key ways. So two tendencies they identified. So the first one was that when their opponent had the the ball at the one yard line, right? They're about to score. That the Packers would always blitz, always on in that situation. So at the for the first play of the second quarter, the Broncos found themselves in exactly that situation. They they had they had you know. Um, they have the ball on the one yard line. They're trying to punch it in. And the problem that they have is Terrell Davis. He had a migraine. He had a migraine, right? I mean, a really, a terrible migraine to the point that he, he really couldn't even see. He's pretty much blind at this point. Right. And he's on the sideline and coach Shanahan comes up to him and says, Hey, uh, Terrell, what I want you to do. I want you to go in the game, man. You know, we're not going to hand the ball off to you or anything, but I need, I need the threat of a run to be able to sell this cup come and play. So, you know, Terrell being a team player, he goes in and he does that. And what happens is um, Elway fakes a handoff, does a bootleg and runs the ball into the end zone. And because the, the safeties were all coming up to, to blitz, uh, there was nobody in the backfield in the backfield when, um, when Elway executed that bootleg and he just pretty much, you know, strolled on in and got a touchdown. Um, now, that particular play, and I, sorry to interrupt you, that particular play, I can visualize it, Kevin, because I remember it. I bought the the season on VHS. People who are listening don't know what VHS is. Google it, please. Um, <laughs> I didn't know why he came out. Yeah. But that play in particular, I didn't see until I read your book. I didn't know that that's what they did at the one yard line that they blitzed. John Elway uh, bootlegs, I believe it was to the right, and Howard Griffin, their fullback, was in the end zone, and the play was to throw it to him, and John Elway said, Howard, I trusted you, but I didn't trust me. <laughs> he said, I might have overthrown <laughs> you. And he he runs it. Of course, you know, Howard's just laughing because he got the ring. He's okay with it. Right, but, right. But Elway said, I, you were wide open, and I didn't trust myself to throw the ball to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean – you know, I mean, like I said, he pretty much strolled into that end zone without, you know, without anybody in his face or anything. So, um, you know, it was probably probably the the best idea. But yeah, I mean, he could have scored either way. And God, you know, you bring up Howard Griffin, man, I miss that guy as a Broncos fan. That that was a dominant fullback. Well, that, that's and and the thing was was he the fullback when Terrell Davis rushed for over two thousand yards? Was that? I I, think that's the next I'm pretty year. sure. I'm, I can't remember. That's a good question. I can't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. That's, man, that's a long time ago now. <laughs> Howard Griffin and Lorenzo Neal are two of my favorite fullbacks. Uh, Mike Alscott, was he considered a fullback? Well, some of the, like a, some of the great yeah. fullbacks that you don't see today. Yeah. Yeah. But see, see, that's the thing about uh, film study. They caught that tendency for the most of us watching a game. We just watched the result of the play what you're talking about is what they did before the play yeah exactly and so you know and sometimes it's pretty easy to figure out like so that one 
you know, is really easy to, to figure out if you watch, you know, watch a good deal of film, you know, but these guys, these coaches are really good at identifying stuff. So that same game and prep for that, you know, Leroy Butler was the Packers safety. And this guy, he was a game wrecker. He had been winning games single-handedly pretty much for the Packers all year long, um, especially on the blitz. He was just dominant. And the Broncos actually managed to figure out the conditions under which he usually blitzed. So he would only blitz when opposing teams lined up two wide receivers on the same side of the field. And one of the his own team's linebackers would cover the slot receiver. Now, if a cornerback instead covered the opponent's slot receiver, Butler was going to guard the opposing team's tight end, right? So this is crazy confusing, right? <laughs> You're like, uh, uh, but, you know, Elway managed to use that and figure it, once that had been identified, Elway managed to, to, to figure out who to throw to and when he needed to get the ball, rid of the ball quickly because, you know, Butler was coming. And that in and of itself was a huge, huge benefit for the Broncos. And Butler was pretty well contained that game. And that was one of the few times all season that any team managed to, um, to contain him. And if you think back to that Super Bowl, the Broncos were an underdog. And this was one of the key reasons that they were able to pull off that upset. What do you do in your research? And it took you, obviously took you a long time to make this book and you thought about it for a while. And uh, I believe you mentioned this in your first chapter or your pre, your, the, the prelogue to it. Um, what do you think makes a good film study? What do you think uh, causes somebody to, to catch something like that? Yeah, I think, yeah. So, I mean, Obviously, you know, good attention to detail, all that type of stuff. What I will say is that there are teams that spend a lot more time on this than others. And, you know, some teams have personnel that are all they do is study tells and tendencies. You know, tendencies being, you know, basically percentage wise, what does a team do most of the time? And then a tell being, you know, just like in poker, a guy, you know, if he has a good hand, he may do something like, um, you know, have a big smile on his face or scratch his nose or act nervous or whatever it may be. So football players have those tells too at times, which can tip off whether a play is going to be a run or a pass or, you know, or a bunch of different things. Um, and so what I'll tell you is like, like so I'll give you an example. The, the, the Broncos back when they, we had Peyton Manning for a quarterback, um, we had a, we had a person dedicated to just determining tells of opponents. And so DeMarcus Ware, who had come over from the Cowboys, used to say, used to go to his coaches and say, hey, coach, I figured out some tells of the opponent. And the coach would say, eh, yeah, but we don't know if they're going to be there from time to time and blah, 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 blah. And I'll tell you what, DeMarcus Ware specifically has stated how thankful he was to be with the Broncos and their coaching staff that it would actually use that type of information and, and talk about what a difference it, it would make it made. Um, so I think that is the first thing is just simply, are you putting in the resources? Do you value collecting intelligence against your opponent enough to make it a area of a focus? 
And if you do, um, you can reap a lot of rewards for that. Now, one of the things that I George about your book again is the, and, and we'll get a couple more stories before before uh, if you've got a couple more if you can give us. I watched that movie. Was it Invincible uh, with Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, name of it. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard of this, but you mentioned this in the book that if an offensive line, the the red or the white in his knuckles, right? Can you explain that? Yeah, so this is one of those tells um, that some NFL teams use. So um, basically, I think it's um, – so basically, de- depending on, you know, how much pressure you put on your knuckles, um, you know, they, they're going to be red or or white. And so offensive and defensive linemen can actually try to determine – um, especially offensive linemen looking at the knuckles of defensive linemen. So they look at those knuckles to try to determine, hey, is this guy going to be uh, run run blocking or is he going to be pass blocking? And so what most offensive or um, yeah, offensive linemen do nowadays is they wear gloves. Even if when it's warm, you'll notice a lot of them wear gloves because they're actually trying to hide their knuckles from being seen so that the opponent doesn't have a tip off as to what the upcoming play is going to be. Let's see again. Would you notice that if you were playing the NFL, of course uh, <clears throat> it's a learned thing, I'm sure. Right. So this is something, you know, your coaches, this is something you're going to learn over time. And um, you know, some people are going to, you know, pick it up and use it. Others are not. Um, but Man, if you can get good at this type of stuff and pick up these little cues and whatnot, let's face it, you know, the NFL is just ultra competitive. Everybody's looking for the slightest advantage, and it may seem kind of silly, but um gosh, if you, you know, if you if you can guess more times than you're wrong what that upcoming play is gonna be, it's an advantage. And it can it can be the difference between winning and losing between two really, you know, well-balanced teams. Now you are uh, the last time we talked, you explained something to me that um, was over my head, but you brought it down to earth, which is what I enjoyed about talking with you is you take some of these hard things that are over normal people's head like mine and you make it so I can understand it. You explained the flake gate and spy gate better than I've ever heard in your book. And I've read them. I read those chapters, I'm going to say two or three times. You explained them to me to the point where I'm almost anti-New England Patriots now. Now, that being <laughs> said, I respect what they did. I respect the fans. That's fine. I don't have any problem with that. And I, and I believe that you can take what the NFL allows you to do, and you could do that to get better. But what you explained in the book, let's go with Deflategate first, if you could. What is Deflategate, and how does that affect uh, – the fair play. Yeah. So, you know, so the the flight gate is, you know, the, the, obviously the, the Patriots were under inflating balls. Right. Um, and it, it goes back to a couple of their members of their equipment staff. And, um, you know, the question really is, you know, became, 
you know, did, did Tom Brady know about it, et cetera, et cetera. So they basically, you know, they go into a game. I won't go into too much detail here, but, you know, they go into a game and um, the equipment manager brings the ball into the referee's locker room as is required. You know, all the footballs that they're required to provide and um, and then leaves the referee has been tipped off before the game that there is, you know, potentially that there's this issue of Patriot balls being underflated. So he he checks the PSI, the pounds per square inch, um, prior to the game beginning and sees that they're well within, um, you know, the NFL limits and says, hey, you know, okay, we're all good. And um, he thinks nothing more of it, goes about his business getting ready for the game. Well, when it's time for that ref to bring the balls out onto the field, they're missing. They're nowhere to be found. Okay. So the, refer the referee um, goes out onto the field and sees, oh, the balls are already out here and really thinks nothing more of it. Um, well, during the game, um, you know, everything's going, everything's going like normal, but one of the, um, the one member of the Colts identifies the and the NFL officials that hey this ball that we're playing it seems a little underinflated um, that came from the Patriots and so the refs take it and they check it at halftime and yes it is well under the um, the permissible limits of the PSI level and then they check all of the Patriots footballs and they're all underinflated and then they check the Colts balls and they're still all within the limits of um, you know, the NFL's amount. And so what ends up happening is that the NFL security interviews um, the, the Patriots staff members, the equipment manager after the game and talks to him about all this stuff. He admits, yes, I took those footballs out of the ref's locker room after giving them to him. Um, but I just brought them out onto the field. And so that ends up Clearly being a lie because video cameras catch him going into a bathroom, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it ends up being a whole big mess with the NFL versus the Patriots. Um, but, you know, bottom line is there are a whole bunch of text messages between Tom Brady and, you know, and a member of the, the Patriots equipment staff that pretty clearly show that Tom Brady knew about it. This was a rehearsed thing that had been going on for quite some time. and. Um, you know, Tom Brady did his best to defend his uh, legacy, but you know, if you're not a Patriots fan, um, it was it was pretty clear what was going on to everybody. I didn't know that you can un underinflate that many footballs in 90 seconds. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. But you know, <laughs> I mean, think think about this though, right? This is not this is not you or I going going out to pump up our bicycle right. or in, inflate our kids' soccer ball. Okay, this is a intelligence operation. This is something that is rehearsed. This is something that is practiced. Okay, so if you have everything ready, right, when you walk into that bathroom and you've done this over and over and over and over again and you've trained on this, okay, yeah, it's a different matter. This is, this is the equivalent of a pit stop in NASCAR, of a tire change. How quick can you get it done? Okay, this isn't this isn't you or I going to the the gas station and pumping up our own tires. 
This is something that is trained on. So, you know, all New England fans try to say, oh, you can't do it that fast. Look, the company that did the investigation into all of this determined, yes, it can be done because they had members of their own staff practice it and do it. All right, Kevin, I have the uh, 10-minute warning pop up. Um, I refuse to pay Zoom, but I'm probably going to have to eventually. <laughs> I, again, I want to thank you for coming on. You have one more story for us. I mean, something that would just lay us out with how great your, your book is and how great these stories are. Sure, sure. So, yeah, I've got quite a few Super Bowl stories. But you know what? Let me let me go back a little ways because I'll take you I'll take you back to one that um, I think is pretty pretty crazy about. Okay. Um, so this is the greatest game ever played. Okay. That, that 19- is the uh, New York Giants versus the Baltimore Colts. That is correct. 1958. 1958. Yes. Okay. So, you know, we're in the, we're in the championship game here. And so those two teams had played earlier in the season and really, really close game, incredibly cold, close game that the Giants pulled out a victory by three points uh, in New York. And so the Colts are, and they're playing the Super Bowl or the championship game once again in um, in New York. So the Colts and their coach, Weeb Eubank, are trying to figure out how to beat them. So Weeb goes up to Bob Shaw, an assistant, and says, Bob, what I want you to do is I want you to spy on the practice, on a practice of the Giants, to figure out if they've got anything new going on, what are they planning on doing? And Bob Shaw is really not comfortable with this, and he tells Weeb as much. Well, after that, Carol Rosenblum, the owner of the Colts, comes up to Bob Shaw and says, Bob, we really need you to spy. And so, you know, Carol Rosenblum was pretty much known as if you don't do things his way, he'll get rid of you. So Bob Shaw at this point is really feeling pressured into do it. So he does. He goes and he spies on the Giants practice and he determines that um, he watches them play from a rooftop overlooking their field and he's nervous as heck the whole time about what's going to happen if he's caught and actually the only way carol rosenblum is even able to convince bob to be able to do this is he says bob if you are caught what i'm going to do is if if the nfl finds out and they ban you from the league for life i will give you a job elsewhere right this guy's you know this guy's one of the richest people in all of america he says i'll find you i'll get you a job so Bob, you know, reluctantly says, oh, okay, you know, I guess I'll do it. So he goes up on the rooftop. He watches the practice. Um, he finds a little bit that's new, but there's not a, a, not a ton. But he's able to come back to Weeb and be able to say, hey, Weeb, we're pretty good. There's not, there's not much that they're throwing in there is new. And we can pretty much just go off a of film study to prepare for the Giants, um, which is, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but if you know what's coming, you know, it, it really gives you a good feeling of comfort. It lets you know exactly what you need to prepare for. And it is a very big advantage. And for a game that went into overtime, was so close it was tied at the end of, you know, regular time. Um, every little tiny advantage can can play into it. So, you know, this is just an example of, you know, um, spying on... Uh, you know, spying on a championship game practice and, you know, and some people may say, yeah, but that's a long time ago. Well, what I say, what I'll say to that is get the book because I've got a example in here 
that's pretty clear of how the Patriots spied on the spied on our Rams practice. Yes, before, they did. The night before, the day before a Super Bowl game. Yes, they did, and they found out somebody was going to be receiving a kickoff. If I remember that correctly, right, Marshall Falk. Marshall you are Falk. correct. And um, a lot of they learned a lot of really big secrets that game. Imagine, imagine yeah. if they didn't know that he was going to receive a kickoff. Marshall Falk is a video game player in real life. Imagine yes, that. Yeah. Um, one thing about again, again, I got just a couple more minutes, and 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 I appreciate your time today. Again, uh, one thing I liked about it is. You made it clear. Uh, Jerry Glanville said something like, "If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." Um, I like the stories about uh, uh, the the owner of the, uh, the the Los Angeles Raiders. My mind went completely blank. Davis. Um, yeah, again, Al Davis. Al yeah. Davis. Thank you. Thank you about how he would act like he was a reporter. <laughs> I, I like that and how he almost snookered uh, Joe Namath into explaining some things. I loved how he, uh, how you explained that uh, Al Davis was something else. Um, but yeah. your stories about uh, the draft uh, about Justin Blackman, I didn't know that. Um, let me see. There was a couple more things, but how you explained Spygate, Deflategate and how you explained uh, the babysitting for the draft before the AFL NFL merger. I like those, those stories. And let's see. Yeah. That. That's, that's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite uh, things that I learned about the NFL was, you know, the use of babysitters, um, which I think was just fascinating. I mean, talk about a crazy world of, you know, spying and espionage back then. Absolutely. Just insane. How, how Peyton Manning, when he would go to Gillette stadium, would go into the shower and turn it on to talk to his player, his, his teammates. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds crazy, but, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of teams that have been, are very paranoid about the use of listening devices being used in that locker room. And, you know, and Peyton Manning is far from the first one. Um, there have been coaches that there has been a coach that has literally, you know, been swearing at the ceiling because he was so convinced that Al Davis, you know, was, had listening devices and was, was, uh, listening in on everything that he was saying. Again, this is Kevin Bryant. His book is Spies on the Sidelines. Uh, you can get at spiesonthesidelines.com. Is that correct? Yes. Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Um, I am even sure, Kevin, that we have a link on sportshistorynetwork.com to, to your book. Uh, you it's, Again, it's been a pleasure. You are a great guest. We'll love to have you back on again when you get the chance. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate you having me on again. And uh, y'all, thank you for listening to Footballers Family. And we have a new sponsor here at the Footballers Family Podcast. It's Manscaped. Support for the Footballers Family Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped re recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 5 million men worldwide who trusted Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code FAMILY at manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived and oh man, is it a game changer. Inside the package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Revival Toner, 
performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming, and I dare say the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and it also has a 400K LED spotlight you need for a more precision shave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. Now you thought that was good, but wait till you take your grooming game to another level. The Performance Package 4.0 includes the Weed Whacker Nose and Hair Ear Hair Trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary safe skin technology, which help reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. The Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Below the Waist Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with code FAMILY. That's get 20% off and free shipping with code FAMILY at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tool with Manscaped.